opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, this morning we're going to be talking about lots of privacy issues, but honing in on the Internet of Things because everything is connected now. We're all online. We're on the Internet in so many different ways. Anything from our refrigerator to our alarm system to our cars. It's just really crazy. And we have a wonderful guest coming to us from San Francisco. She's with the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and we've had Lee Chen on our show several times from that organization. But let me tell you about wonderful Jamie Williams. She is a Frank Stanton Legal Fellow at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, where she's part of the Civil Liberties Team. Jamie focuses on the First and Fourth Amendment implication of all sorts of new technologies. Prior to joining EFF, Jamie clerked for Judge Sandra Brown Armstrong in the Northern District of California. Before her clerkship, she was a litigation associate at Paul Hastings LLP and an attorney law clerk at the Alameda County Public Defender's Office. She has a JD from the University of California Berkeley School of Law, a Bolt Hall, and a BA in journalism from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And Jamie, I forgot to tell you, I graduated from the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and I won't tell you what year, but it was a long time ago but I'm also a fellow badger so that we have that in common that's awesome I did not know that that was my undergraduate I came from uh, you know I was from a suburb of Chicago and went to Madison and that was during the, a crazy time in fact the year I graduated they blew up the math research center so oh, you know, that was a, heard about that. yeah that was like the the wild 60s we were the Berkeley of the Midwest <laughs> But, I've, um, heard of, I've heard that phrase, too. Yes, yes. And it was, I, I'm sure you're happy to be in California after living through winters in Madison, right? Yes, definitely. That <laughs> is one of the draws. Yeah, I remember walking up Bascom Hill when it was 40 below zero. So um, it, was, it was rough. I cannot forget that memory. 
with you. Well, we are smart to be in California, right? We definitely are. Well, let's talk about some of these really important issues. First of all, that's exciting that you're at EFF. I just think they're a wonderful organization. So what do you think are some of the really big threats to privacy and security that are coming in the next 10 years? Well, I think the topic of today's talk, the Internet of Things, is what I think in the next 10 years is going to be increasingly the biggest threat to our, or one of the biggest threats to our privacy and security online. Right now, we're relatively used to a world where the everyday objects that we use in our homes and in our offices are in our, they, they don't connect to the internet, they don't communicate with us, um, but increasingly, these everyday objects are having sensors and the ability to, to collect data and send that, that information to other places online without any command from us. And that raises a lot of privacy and security concerns. Yes, yes. Let's talk what we mean exactly by the Internet of Things, and let's talk about some other examples, like our cars even are you know, connected with the Internet of Things, right? Yeah, exactly. So the Internet of Things has been referred to um, by Bruce Schneier, who's another very um, prominent name in computer security, recently authored a book called Data and Goliath, which you might be familiar with. Yeah, he's been on our show uh, several times, too. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and he refers to the Internet of Things as the Internet of Sensors, which I think is a much better description for understanding what exactly it is, and just basically sensors and devices that connect to the Internet. Um, and so a loosely defined term for the phrase Internet of Things would be a future in which everyday objects have built-in sensors and network connectivity, allowing them to send and receive data all by themselves without human to, with human, without human to computer interaction. Um, and some examples of that, like you said, are is, is in a car. If you have something in your car that allows you to connect to the Internet or, say, send a message that you're coming home so you can open your garage via connecting to the cloud, not just via a signal to the garage opener or a, a device that allows you to start heating up your home, which would have been great in Wisconsin, right, <laughs> right. coming home so that you get home to your freezing house that's already warm because you're not going to leave the heat on all day because that's really expensive. So it's not just items in your house. Like I, people have heard about smart toilets or smart toothbrushes or smart fridges that order more eggs because they can sense that you're out, but also things in your car, um, wearable devices that, that people have on their arms to measure how much they're walking or how far they've ran in a particular day, how many calories they've burned, like those kinds of personal diagnostic measures. Right. And then, um, yeah. So is that the future is really today, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and these are things that are not just projections for the future, they're things that people have already. So right now, 13% of consumers, or the projections are that by the end of this year, by the end of 2015, 13% of consumers are going to own an in-home device, such as a thermostat or a security camera that can connect to the internet, so a smart device. Um, and that, that was only 14% at the end of last year. And by the end of this year, they also project that 22% of consumers will own a connected wearable device like a 
um, a Fitbit, yeah, yeah, right. You know, and then I remember I really fought getting a smart meter on my house. And um, it was funny because uh, San Diego Gas and Electric, which is down here, said that everybody had to put a smart meter on the house. And um, and I was worried about that. I remember up in San Francisco, there was a big brouhaha, right, about your Pacific Electric Company. Uh, yep. Yep. And uh, so I was worried. And then um, Ann Kavukian, who was the uh, privacy Commissioner of Ontario, Canada, went and did some consulting with San Diego Gas and Electric, and I remember that. So they came out to my house, and they have added some privacy protections, but I don't trust it. I don't trust it. Um, so that's another thing. You know, we've got smart meters on our houses. We've got black boxes in our cars, right? We How about, I think, wasn't there a big... Um, craziness with with jeeps that also had um we're reporting back and and um so there's there's we're going to have you know self-driving cars are going to be similar as well right yeah i mean those are going to raise a host of all different issues because with the self-driving element you add in a multiple different layers of and and not just privacy threat but also security threat because if the car is being driven by a program and that program is somehow somehow bad actors gain access to that program and can modify what's going on in the car without somebody controlling. I mean, they're definitely going to be, in the, in the case of smart cars, a lot of um, attention paid to this because this is going to be a big public safety risk and something that I think people are paying a lot of attention to. But what's different between smart cars and even phones, where they're expensive, complicated devices where People pay a lot of time and money into securing those devices and make and paying attention to the privacy implications. A lot of the smart home devices are being built by manufacturers who haven't historically had to be concerned about that. Right. The devices aren't always that expensive. So you have like a smart toaster being manufactured by a toaster manufacturer who has never thought about consumer privacy and never thought about consumer consumer security before, right. and so now they're, now they're being presented with all of these different issues, and so those products aren't always being developed from the ground up with privacy and security in mind, not, ne- not necessarily because they don't want to do those things, just because they don't know how, um, and also these devices, not, not to say that they still shouldn't, they, I think they still should, but I think that it's an oversight that's happening. Um, there's also currently no government mandates that are encouraging them or forcing them to do that and um, I'm not sure that we're trying to raise consumer awareness about this but I'm not sure that consumers are all that aware of the Internet of Things security and privacy issues either some definitely are but I think it's a relatively new phenomenon for a lot of people and um, and also these when the devices are only like twenty dollars it's kind of costly. Pushing security up yeah. when laws get developed, like they do with phones, because after a certain point, um, it doesn't become economically worth yeah. it. I mean, even big phones stop doing security pushes after a couple of years, but with a twenty-dollar toaster, yes. that's going to happen much, much sooner. Yeah, um, I think Internet of Things toasters and coffee makers are still relatively expensive, but 
I imagine that in a couple of years they're going to be much cheaper as the market is much higher for them. Right, or um, if you're talking even about a Fitbit, you know, that's not very expensive, and and people have yeah. to think about that. I, I remember even when um, uh, Ann Kavukian was talking about privacy by design, which is what you're talking about, building privacy and security into the architecture of the, the new item or the new technology or the new service, you know, thinking about it at the same time, and you're right, a lot of these companies haven't thought about it. That's even with the, the um, electric companies. They weren't in the process, of, you know, in thinking about privacy or security when they were, you know, giving you electric. So it is kind of a new phenomenon. But but let's talk about some of the challenges. You know, everybody's saying, so, so big deal, you know, big deal. That's easier. They don't have to come out and scare my dog when they take, they don't have to take a reading like that. They can just take the reading from where they are. And they that saves me time, and I, I think it'll be more accurate. So people yep. look at a lot of this stuff as the benefits, which there are. There's wonderful benefits. Even if I, I... Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, even if it's, I had like... Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, when I think about some of the things that they're going to do with people who have diabetes, and they're just going to have automatic, um, you know, uh, insulin given to them when they need it instead of them, like, fainting first or something. Those are beautiful, but let's talk about the insidious side of these issues. Can you speak to that? Yeah, and I, I definitely do agree that these, a lot of these devices promise health, safety, efficiency, um, and I think that they're coming either way, but but once, the de- once consumer demand is out there to have them insert the privacy and security by design from the ground up, it will be to a benefit because of these privacy implications that I'm going to talk about. And um, I think the energy meter is actually a really good example of the privacy implications because, um, so basically these devices, they're collecting just maybe what you would think of as mundane things about your daily life. But in the case of the energy meters in particular, um, Martin Pollock of Siemens Energy said in 2010 that they have the technology to record um, every single, your energy use in minutes and seconds and microseconds. And from that, they're able to infer how many people are at home at any one time, what they're doing while they're at home, which, are they upstairs or are they downstairs? Do they have a dog? When do you get up? When do you get up? When when do you usually get up? When do you usually, when did you get up this particular morning? When do you have a shower? Just a mass amount of private data. And there was actually a hacker, um, a white hat hacker, a security researcher, um, in 2011 who, at a conference in Germany, took only two hours to get into a smart meter and fake the readings. Mm. So that's a security issue there. Um, but also a privacy issue because if somebody can get into these meters because they, they're relatively easy to break into, then all the data that's stored about when you're, where you are, when, when you're doing things, that could get in the hands of the wrong person. And they could burglarize your house knowing that you're not there, right? Or if they're a stalker, well, yeah, they could, you know, I mean, it, it, it could be offline stuff that could happen as well. If somebody knows yeah, when exactly. you're home or on vacation or, or let's but say you have a likely. stalker, right? Yeah. And, yeah, 
yeah, that's that's true. I think the more likely thing is that all that private data that is that is collected about you is taken, and then because that data is worth a lot of money, and there's some companies that certainly only keep what they want, only keep what they need. I mean, um, but I think right now that that's in the you have to really look for the companies who are specifically saying we're dedicated to consumer privacy and security. We're only going to keep what they need. A, a lot of companies that the data is really expensive, so they keep it. Some of them sell it to data brokers, and they collect that data, and they aggregate it with the data that's collected from your smart thermostat, your Nest thermostat, and that your data that's collected from your, I mean, and hypothetically that all of these things could be aggregated together and paint a very specific picture of who you are, what you do, where you go all the time. And, you know, I kind of worry about terrorism, too, and I don't mean to be scary and stuff, but, you know, yep. where this stuff is stored and how it's accessed and, you know, if, if you know, I worry about really the whole infrastructure with all this Internet of Things, um, like you were talking about electric or, or water and everything, you know, our water supplies. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, horrible thing that maybe China could get into our infrastructure and really, you know, mess up our electric so we don't have electric or we don't have water or we don't have certain systems that, that would be connected on the Internet. And that's, that's worrisome as well, that it is um, just beyond our control to do much about that, right? Well, though, I mean, that, that is the risk with... Um Security. So the reason why why security is so important in all these devices, even the ones that we think are relatively innocuous, like a toaster or something like that, but also but even more so important in those big kinds of infrastructure devices. But right, and that yeah, and that is why security is so important, just because you don't want bad actors of any sort getting into those. System. Yeah, I know. Um, my my husband watches these survival shows where people get off the grid, you know. Oh. So because he always says, you know, we should just get off the grid and not be connected to any of this stuff. So, um, I mean, it is a concern. You have to get rid of your phone. I know. I know. How can I do that? I get my email, everything. Oh, goodness. I know. It's very hard to get off the grid these days because even things you don't think. They do have a sensor. It will be increasingly hard. I tried to buy a um, power strip the other day online, and there were two separate versions. I couldn't tell immediately what was different. Um, and it turned out one of them was a smart power strip, and I couldn't figure out why I would need that. So I didn't get it. Um, mm. <laughs> but, but and then another issue that comes up with another privacy implication that comes up is in the, the context of government surveillance, which is an yes. issue that EFF deals with quite frequently. Um, we, we have litigation pending against the government for some of their mass surveillance programs. And with this data, with this mass amounts of data, um, I'm sure you've heard the term big data before. Yes, right? yes, sure. Mm -hmm. um, but with the Internet of Things, I think it's infinite data. There's just so much data out there about everyone. And it can be used in many different ways. And representatives from the government have said that the Internet of Things is going to vastly increase surveillance opportunities by the government. Um, General David Petraeus, who's a former CIA director, 
said that the Internet of Things is, things is going to have a transformational effect on basically intelligent, intelligence gathering and totally change our notions of secrecy. I can just imagine what uh, Edward Snowden w- would say about this. I, I, I know that he, I've, I've seen recently that he has um, started a foundation ag- about surveillance with a whole bunch of people, the journalist who kind of revealed a lot about him. And just imagine um, all of this government surveillance. It is, it is quite scary. And, you know, with you studying the First and Fourth Amendment, you know, the the government is not supposed to collect information about us, right? That we have without a warrant, right? We have a right to privacy. So, what? How does this all interact with the Fourth Amendment that you're working on? So, I mean, think I think that's an interesting question. It's a little bit early to fully be able to figure out how that's going to work. Um, I mean, the Fourth Amendment obviously only protects you against government searches, right? Either. Right. So it's right. not going to protect you against other types of privacy invasions if you, by, if you feel like your privacy is being invaded by a company. Um, but, yeah, so devices in your home are something that I think presents an interesting issue because the Fourth Amendment definitely protects your home. And I think if the government tried to go into your home and get a device, a physical device, in your home, then that would be a clear violation of the law. But I think what's going to be up in the air is whether they can access data that was collected from you, let's just say we're inside the home, data collected from you while you're inside your home. Like what, what is their ability to access the data that we're talking about that was collected from the smart meters? Um, yeah, Jamie, because we, we, you know, we all know that the government collected information from AT&T and other cell phone providers if, if the government isn't collecting the smartphone information, like from San Diego, um, I mean, if they're not collecting it, but they can get it from San Diego Gas and Electric or Pacific Gas and Electric, then, you know, they're kind of, that's kind of skirting that, right? I mean, that's... that's well, yeah, that's, and that's exactly the thing. The government would argue that that, that, would, that information would be in the third party so that your reasonable expectation of privacy in that data would have disappeared. And we would argue differently. That we don't believe that just because a, an energy provider or a cell phone provider has your private data, that doesn't mean that you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy that the govern, government won't, get, won't have free access to rifle through that data without a warrant. Right. Right. You know, some people may be... That's why I think that yeah. I was just, I just think the cases that we're litigating now, if they're able to actually go go anywhere, it's very hard that cases are moving very slowly. Um, and with the new USA Freedom Act replacing the Patriot Act, that slowed things down even further. Yeah. Um, but these cases are very important to answer these important questions. Could you tell us a little bit about the case? I think that would be fascinating for my audience. Just tell us, you know, maybe one or two of the cases that you're trying to litigate. So we have a couple of different lawsuits, um, and so does the ACLU. We're kind of all working together, and there's, I think, about four lawsuits across the country just challenging the um, NSA's phone surveillance program. Right. Hmm. And they're partnership with the phone companies to looking at all of our, not only our phone records, but also our internet records and email records and looking through our communication records without a warrant. Right. 
And this was a lot of what Edward Snowden had revealed as well. Exactly. We've been fighting those cases since far before Edward Snowden came public, but his, the information revealed through him or by him was helpful to establish some things in our cases. Right. Right. And so, you know, there might be people who are saying, you know, the young people that are on the campus here are people who really love technology. They might say, you know what, I don't have anything to hide. What do you say to that? So I think that, I think that that is a false premise. I think that everyone has something to hide. Not necessarily everyone has, has criminal activity that they're hiding. But everyone has something they want to keep private, that they want to keep secret to themselves. Um, and if you have a world in which people think that their email and their phone calls are being listened to at any time, um, that creates a sense of pervasive surveillance. And that, in turn, creates, I think, a sense of constant watching and people do not, I think it stifles dissent and creativity, which I think has a negative impact on our world and on democracy. Right. I mean, it's, it, we don't want this brave new world, right? I mean, you want to be able to, you know, I, I mean, I think the people in England, you know, where they've got surveillance cameras everywhere, it, it does change, uh, you know, your, um, your ability to feel free, Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. And it's as much closer to 1984 than. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's talk about you know we have uh, seven, you know we have a little bit of time left, and I wanted to kind of have you help us to talk about what consumers can do. There's so much beyond our control, right? <laughs> but what can consumers do to protect their privacy given the Internet of Things? I mean, one of the things that you did was when you could have bought a, you know, a, uh, a str- a electronic strip to um, a, a protector, you looked at which one was a smart one and bought the other one. So what are some other things we can do? Well, and yeah, and I think that in that case, it was easy for me to just decide I didn't need a connected device. And I think that some of these connected devices are going to be inevitable in the future. I mean, there might come a day where there is no option to buy a non-connected right. device of a certain sort. Um, but right now, I, especially in that context, I hadn't done my research on that company. I didn't know what their policies were for what they were doing with their data. Um, and I didn't feel like I needed a connected device for that. So I think that the main thing that consumers should do now is to start educating themselves about these things. And um, when you when they do decide that a smart ther- thermostat or a smart device is the best thing for them, then to, to get one from a company that they know cares about privacy and security that have been designing their devices with these concepts in mind from the beginning, like you said, privacy and security by design. Um, and and it's not its not always easy, right? I mean, it's not always easy. And, it's, and not, it's not always easy to figure <laughs> that out. And I think, I think hopefully increasingly other, you can go to other resources online, not just the company themselves, to say, so which devices and which company should I support? Um, EFF doesn't have anything like a scorecard 
for the Internet of Things. But they should. Uh, That's a great thing to do. Hire some people up there to do that. That would be really wonderful. Yeah, maybe that's something that we can do in the future. Um, I, but I do. I think it's we're still like we're just getting into this era right now. So I, do, I do think it can be very hard. But that's why I also think that um, I personally am going to be very hesitant about getting these types of devices until I have that information. And if I can't find it, then I'm I'm going to wait and hold off until until that information is available. And also um, supporting companies that only keep my data will only keep the data they need about me right. to, to offer me the services that I, I'm trying to get, not not holding on to it forever, even though they don't need it, not sharing it, um, and also being transparent. I think transparency is the key thing. And if you go to a company's website and they don't have anything on their website, then they're not being transparent with you, and that's probably not a good company to support. Yeah, so we want to be looking at the privacy policies, and you know, Anne, we want to go and go to EFF.org, and then there's EPIC, which is the Electronic Privacy Information Center. That's another really good nonprofit that deals yeah. with privacy as well. So we're just out of time, Jamie, but you're wonderful, Jamie. So um, Jamie Williams is an attorney with EFF, so just give your website, and it's time to go. You can visit EFF at www.EFF.org. Wonderful. Well, thank you. We will keep in touch, okay? And then we will have you back again, Jamie. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning right here on KUCI at 8 a.m. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.